I'm now joined by Sonia Fermato, Senior Director at ACA Foresight, who, if you're not familiar with Foresight, we'll talk more about what they do here in a moment, but they pretty much handle it all on the ETF side. Everything from helping launch an ETF to marketing and compliance, back-end operations, they really do it all. And Sonia herself has deep expertise specifically in fund distribution and not just ETFs. She has expertise across a variety of product structures. Basically, her wheelhouse is helping bring investment strategies to market in the best way possible. And I should note that prior to Foresight, she was with Fidelity Investments, where she consulted on product positioning and marketing And she actually led the build-out of the Fidelity Funds Network Distributor Service Model. Uh, Sonia is now on the line with me from Boston. Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Nate, thank you. Awesome to be here today. Really appreciate you having me on, and um, thank you for all the the kind words. I'm really excited to... uh, to share some of my insights today with you and and everyone on the line. Well, yeah, and I think for those of us who are in the ETF space or pretty close to it, I I think many of us are at least somewhat familiar with the uh, Foresight name, but I'm Mm -hmm. guessing there are a decent number of listeners who have never heard of Foresight before. So let's start with what exactly Foresight does. Give us the high-level overview, and then we can certainly drill down uh, into the ETF side of things. Excellent. Happy to do so. So um, as you kind of hear, Foresight and ACA, so I come from Heritage Foresight. Um, I am right now, though, Team ACA. We're all Team ACA. So um, ACA from a 30,000-foot level is a, a leading governance risk and compliance, or GRC, advisor in financial services. We empower clients to reimagine GRC and protect and grow their business. So as you hear the two names, the merger brought together um, our two great organizations with, you know, loads of experienced professionals and a full suite of uh, GRC advisory, technology, managed services, analytics, distribution, which, you know, I, I'm looking forward to speaking out today, and other outsourcing solutions to the financial services industry. So. We're a firm that has over uh, 1,250 employees, 18 offices globally, and we serve over 6,300 clients. And I think the most important thing as we talk to our clients today is nothing's changed as we've become ACA or ACA Foresight or or such. Um, It's really the focus on um, kind of providing that excellence and servicing our clients So, you know, diving a little deeper, Nate, into ETFs, um, give you a little bit of color and folks on the phone also that may not know Foresight. We are the largest third-party distributor with over uh, $1.3 in assets under distribution as of the end of April. Um, You know, with ETFs specifically, we have $180 in assets under distribution, um, over 700 funds and 156 um, unique brands we work with. So I'll stop there, and um, hopefully that gives everybody a little more color as we jump into some great conversations here. Yeah, and in terms of uh, what ACA Foresight handles on the ETF side, can, can you offer a little more detail there? I mean, I mentioned that you, you pretty much do it all, but what are some of the things that that, that entails? Yeah, no, and I think it's a great question that I, I, I think people, um, when they hear foresight or a principal underwriter or a legal underwriter, and that's the, the predominant service that you're really working with us um, when you're outsourcing um, or partnering, I should say, with foresight. So that really, um, we have a, a 
solid ETF um, operations group under Darren Levesque, and that team really is is responsible for facilitating um, and coordinating all the authorized participants agree- uh, participant agreements in the primary market. They're working on um, the creation and um, redemption, kind of verification and confirmation of those orders, uh, the electronic transfer of those AP orders. We also have a huge um, marketing and advertising review group. Um, compliance, again, is in our DNA. So they're reviewing, approving, and, and filing that information with FINRA. I think beyond the legal underwriting, which is the nuts and bolts of what we're doing, what we build around that as, as folks are, are launching or, um, or kind of you know, moving forward with an ETF is, is we do other pieces of the puzzle as well, um, you know, rep licensing, fund officers. We can help with RIA setup and compliance. And then the consulting and, the, and really the product partnerships where I get involved a lot is, you know, beyond what we're doing um, with a signed contract, we feel it's important that we partner with our clients to help them grow. So my role really, and I'll, I'll jump into that a little, is making sure we're understanding what they're going through. We're there in the beginning. You know, what are you thinking through? Can we introduce you to the right people on, you know, the APA lands- um, the AP landscape um, with other service providers that are on the other side of the equation, you know, the, the custodians, the admins, the relationships we have there, the exchanges, uh, legal counsel. So we are kind of intertwined within the industry, and, you know, I definitely love to talk about distribution. So when you're, when you're thinking about products in, you know, even beyond an ETF, it's really necessary to understand that um, what, what it comes down to, whatever you build, you have to be behind it 100% so that you can um, invest in the growth of that and understand as the landscape changes, too, that you have to morph with that. And, and as an organization, you have to be on board to, uh, to put the resources in. Who is typically a client for your ETF services? Is there any commonality among who you work with in terms of size or other attributes, or do you pretty much work with everyone? No, great question. And I, I, I think, you know, what's interesting is we work with everyone. It is from, you know, partnering with various series trusts, you know, the U.S. banks, the titles, the ETC, advisor shares, and the clients that may come under them that are, uh, you know, an a RIA that is, is launching a, a, you know, a, a specific strategy for their clients and then looking to grow that broader to the, the broad players, you know, the, um, the John Hancocks, the Putnams, um, you know, to the, to the interesting um, niche players, uh, today's day and age, you know, commodities, Tucrium, you know, Grayscale, um, as well as engine number one, bond blocks. You, you look at also structures, American Century first to launch the, um, you know, active uh, semi-transparent uh, thematic small players, more the round hill who are, you know, helping their investors express kind of their vision of the future. So we really work with everyone and we, you know, our, our passion is behind helping them succeed. Um, but what they might need might be different things from Foresight and, and we're ready to customize that for, for clients um, as they want to move forward. All right. So given what Foresight does and certainly your specific role, you have a front row seat to pretty much everything occurring within the ETF industry. And so I, I, I thought I'd ask you about a few areas in particular that I think are going to be right in your wheelhouse because they pertain cool. to ETF distribution. And I want to start with mutual fund to ETF conversions. 
So from my perspective, these appear to be picking up steam. Uh, of course, DFA has been the, the biggest player here, but we've seen conversions from J.P. Morgan, uh, Motley Fool, I saw here recently Harbor, uh, uh, among others. What are you seeing here right now? How, how important is this particular distribution channel? Yeah, great question. And I think it's one of the questions that we have definitely, you know, across our um, organization have heard from our clients. And, and, you know, what we hear from our clients, we like to respond with, okay, how can we help you? So, yes, the marketplace is attracting kind of interest in ETFs and, and all types of managers. Obviously, they want to come to market and, you know, scale is, is very important. So with the initial, you know, we've been working with a lot of different uh, clients and we've had that front row seat during those conversions. You know, Guinness Atkinson back in, in March of 2021 and then others that have come, Motley Fool, like you said, just at the end of the year. And then a couple others we've worked with in, you know, the beginning of 2022, Convergence, Innovative. I think DFA and, and JP Morgan are the ones that are bringing the kind of momentum behind with the assets. I mean, I think as of today or as of, um, you know, the end of May, it's almost 39 billion has been brought over, um, to the ETF industry from, you know, historical mutual funds. Now, that being said, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel personally that mutual funds are going anywhere. They have their place in the marketplace, but where the growth is and what we're seeing is, is definitely across ETF. ETFs based on, um, you know, their potential benefits to investors and the industry with, you know, interday trading, liquidity, tax efficiency and such. So, you know, when we look at talking to clients um, about mutual fund ETF conversions, I like to take a step back and really say, listen, we have heard you. We have seen what's going on. A couple things you need to think about. And it really comes down to um, a framework that we've really continued to hone out um, as we're talking to clients. So there's your strategic analysis, there's your governance piece, and then your compliance and operational um, considerations pillar. And each of them brings something different, Nate. It's really the strategic analysis is those initial considerations that you really have to think through before you go down the road of thinking just because the ETF wrapper is you know, being successful, it doesn't mean it's going to be successful for you or for what you're bringing to the marketplace from that mutual fund. So, you know, a couple of things. Um, you know, can the investment strategy be supported by the wrapper? Um, what is the, the current intermediary uh, breakdown or footprint? And is that going to pour it over? You know, you're not going to be automatically available at Merrill Lynch in an ETF uh, because you are in the mutual fund and there's going to be some disruption with the advisors. So you're going to have to think through all of these things prior to even moving forward. Um, you know, what's the share class structure? You know, if you have six R shares and your focus is 401ks, it may not be the right wrapper to move forward with and, and you may lose folks in transition. Um, you know, the government's, the governance piece, the really the evaluating and, and kind of preparing and communicating all filter around kind of what's the conversion mechanism going to be. Um, you know, do I need a shareholder vote? Uh, you know, board approval and, and keeping the board apprised of everything as you're moving through. And it's really about communication, communication, communication. And that's also going to take all the filings you're going to need to do. 
Um, and then, you know, navigating, I think, and executing upon, um, you know, all the things that I think people hear about really are like fractional shares and direct shareholders. Well, there's more, as I said earlier, with this framework. And you're also complying with new ETF-specific rules. If you haven't managed an ETF, it's a whole new ecosystem out there. So just as folks coming from maybe more of the institutional into the retail market for a product, coming into the ETF ecosystem, you've got the primary and secondary market. And a lot of things new to folks that you have to get familiar with and you have to be um, sure you have the right people and resources and partners to, to make that happen. You mentioned long-winded answer on that one. No, it's fantastic stuff. I'm curious. You mentioned uh, 401k plans. How big of a hurdle is that for mutual fund to ETF conversions? Because you also mentioned mutual funds are not going anywhere, and we know that 401k plans. That's a huge distribution platform for mutual funds. I guess my question is: Do you think that that puts a cap on the level of conversions we'll ultimately see, or do you expect 401k plans to? you know, slowly uh, incorporate ETFs more, and then that'll, you know, open up that distribution channel. Just how do you see that playing out? No, great question. And I think it's a mix. So I would say right now, when you look at 401k plans, you know, the, the platforms really aren't, you know, kind of set up the record keeping platforms, maybe to support it, maybe through a self-directed brokerage or, or something along those lines. And really, when you look at ETFs, in, you know, a, a, a qualified plan, there's not really that kind of tax efficiency that's as needed in a, in a you know, kind of a uh, taxable account. So there's differences in what the end investor is really benefiting from um, with this. Now, with the wrapper benefits, well, when you look at 401ks as well, there's, you know, a whole host of, of things going on that we need to think through um, from other vehicles. So, yes, mutual funds have been predominant. There's been also SMA, you know, I don't want to go off into a tangent, but there's been also other products growing, SMA, CIT. So there's a whole, um, you know, marketplace out there that's bringing that lower cost or scale or, or personalization already to, um, you know, 401k plans. Does that mean ETFs won't be successful? No, definitely not. I think there are definitely the ETF issuers out there and, and the, the, the proponents of the wrapper are going to continue to make strides in that marketplace. But I do think, though, mutual funds, they serve a role, they are, uh, you know, a solid offering and are able to deliver to that market. I mean, if you look at my 401k, it's all mutual funds. It's, it's, you know, there's not a position right now. So I don't think we're going to see, you know, half the assets leave mutual funds. They're still going to be a predominant vehicle in that space. They're going to give up some room to, like it is now on the, you know, strategic plan side to the SMA CITs. And then slowly ETFs will make their way into that at first, you know, with the, with the brokerage window. And then as part of the plan lineup in more kind of, you know, I guess progressive plans, I would say, are smaller plans that are maybe looking for um, with the younger investors that only see that vehicle as something be important. So I think it's a mix, um, and I think the marketplace is definitely shifting towards ETFs, but there's not going to be a, a windfall of assets coming over from the 401k space. Sonia, just a, a few minutes left here. Just given, given your role, I wanted to be sure to ask you about active, uh, non- or semi-transparent ETFs. And the way that I would set this up for you is, uh, you know, look, these had a lot of attention a, a couple of years ago. I feel like momentum has dwindled a, a little bit here. And, 
you know, the original thinking was with a structure, and actually there are several structures, but in general, the thought was this structure would allow a lot of old guard active mutual fund companies to bring their strategies to market without divulging their secret sauce, right? They get all the benefits of ETFs, but they can cloak their holdings. They don't have to disclose daily. But if I look at some of the uh, launches, even this year, I mean, a firm like Capital Group, so long heritage and active management, they rolled out transparent ETFs. And there's plenty of examples like them where fund companies didn't use the the non or semi transparent wrapper. Just just briefly here, what are you seeing in, in the space? Do you think there's still a path to success for for non or semi transparent ETFs? Absolutely, and I would point to two things: access and the types of strategies they can bring to market under the current semi transparent or non transparent wrapper. So, access. I don't think you've seen. Um, you know, the structures are still being approved at a lot of the regional uh, broker-dealers, the independent broker-dealers, the wirehouses. They are still working through that. They're only seeing, you know, one or two at some of the wires that have recently been, you know, kind of given the, the green light. So your access point with the custodial platforms where they are able to grow um, currently is limited. So I think it's limited uh, distribution uh, points of uh, kind of access right now, and as that opens up, you'll see uh, greater adoption. And then also, as we're talking to folks, you know, in, they, like you said, Capital Group, uh, you know, Putnam's another one. They uh, launched uh, semi-transparent. Um, they're under the Fidelity wrapper. They're also coming out with some new structures under just the true transparent. It's what you, you know, right now it's what domestic equity um, or U.S. equity that basically can do that. These players want to bring what they're experts in. And if they can't put it under that structure right now, because it's limited, it's limiting what they can bring. So I think access in and kind of what what's kind of able to bring to market under the types of strategies right now, I, w- I would point to those two things. So I think there's still a lot of room to run. And, you know, we talked to Ed Rosenberg over at um, American Century a lot. And he's a great partner and, and he's out there, you know, pounding the pavement daily. So I, I think you're going to continue to see um, some movement there. Okay, you mentioned the the term access. I can't help myself now, uh, even though we're running a little short on time. Just briefly, uh, talk more about the the state of access overall. Gatekeepers, right? Like, how big of an issue is this where especially uh, smaller ETF issuers, they have an uphill battle to get their ETFs approved on various platforms? Is that still a big problem in, in the ETF space? Yeah, so I would say it's it's refreshing from the mutual fund where maybe you don't have to come for the demand on the custodial and clearing platforms. Every structure is going to be different if it's a you know an index, if it's an active transparent, if it's an active semi-transparent, where you're going to have those, um, you know, if you're going to have additional hurdles. But coming out of the gate, yes, it's allowed, you know, more folks into the game, but then the on the other side of the equation, the intermediaries are saying, okay, well, we don't need, you know, kind of a, a tidal wave of, of product. We need the right product that our clients are demanding. So they are starting to more formalize around, you know, what are maybe some requirements or is there time to market or certain characteristics around that. Still in the custodian clearing platforms, you're going to have a, an, you know, kind of a, an entryway, a soft entryway in, and that gives you a vast um, you know, navigation point with all the RIAs out there. 
But as you move to the regional broker dealers and, you know, kind of, you know, the Ray J's, the LPLs, you're starting to see that formalization around how do we bring product onto the platform and then the wires with, you know, we went through rationalization with, with mutual funds and, and SMAs. We're not going to do that with ETFs, so we're going to be more thoughtful as we're moving through. So it gets more complex, but I definitely think there's still a runway for good product to, you know, the folks are bringing what is necessary in the marketplace and what people are demanding. Well, Sonia, we're going to have to leave it there. Again, just a fantastic perspective. I love talking ETF shop. No question, you know this stuff as well as anyone out there. Thank you for joining me. Nate, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it and loved uh, loved joining you this morning. That was Sonia Formato, Senior Director at ACA Foresight.